Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. Hey, Travis. Lately, I've been trying to develop develop my faith. And I've been trying to develop the kind of faith which can move mountains, as we see in Matthew 17, 20. Um, I'm continually seeing myself distracted by everyday life, and I don't always consider how God can interact with us. I often feel myself limiting God's power. Do you struggle with this kind of thing? I think everybody does. Uh, you know, it's easy to read those passages and, and really beat yourself up, uh, thinking of the wonderful things that are talked about in Scripture about what faith can accomplish and then comparing that with your own works is a pretty humbling thing. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's a pretty common thing. We tend to get busy and um, and forget where we should put our faith. Right? We as Americans specifically get very busy. We pack so many things into our schedules, and on top of all of that, this is this is where I see this in myself and uh, some that I I work with and things like that. We limit the possible to what we have seen and can understand. And while we can dream of impossible things and even watch them in movies, we never really believe those kinds of things can happen. For example, what is the one thing with which everyone believes is certain? Death. Yeah, death, right? Uh, speaking as an engineer for just a second, that's, that's my occupation, uh, we are all bound by the laws of physics. You know, Newton has... Uh, the three laws that he discovered. And um, in the context of those, nothing, and I repeat, nothing defies the laws of physics. And this is the mindset on how we think, right? Yeah, I think we limit uh, what's possible, like you say, in our own minds by what we what we know, what we can touch and feel. And um like you say, you know, we, we see things in movies sometimes that uh, defy those, and, and they seem fantastic. Um, quite literally, they seem like they're from fantasy. Uh, even from the time you're, you know, I remember being, being very young and seeing Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments on ABC, <laughs> you know, on Easter weekend, and, and seeing the, the waters parted and seas turned to blood and all, all those things that, that happened in that, in that film— even in its glorious Technicolor days, uh, and thinking, that's amazing, but it feels impossible. Why do you, why do you think we think that way? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think um, we tend to, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, rely on the things that we can know for certain. Um, and... That's one of the one of the great struggles I think of Christianity is believing in something that we don't get to see firsthand, um, and that's a challenge, you know, to to believe in an afterlife that we don't see firsthand until until we're done living this life, uh, and believe in resurrection that we don't get to see firsthand, and, uh, and you could go on and on. I think. To me, that's that's the great challenge for me is that I don't get to see those things firsthand. I don't get the experience that the apostles had or that the Israelites had when they left Egypt. 
So to me, it's left to my imagination and faith in the words that we read. That's a great point. I, I, um, I think of one of the common taglines we hear, seeing is believing. And I think that does some damage to the way that we think because it can, um, it can make us think that's true, right? And sometimes believing is, is not seeing, it's knowing and trusting. And when we talk about faith, I often think of um, faith, a synonym for faith is trust. So when we're talking about this faith that can move mountains, we're talking about trust that God can move mountains. And um, what I'd like to do for this episode is to look at a few different people that we see in the records of the Bible and look at the faith that they displayed. And the first one of those I want to look at is Abraham. So Abraham, his, his middle name might as well have been Faith, right? Um, one of the great examples of faith that we see in the whole Bible. Um, and as a short summary of Abraham's life, and this is, this is short. Uh, he's living in the wilderness, and in Genesis chapter 12, we see that he's called by God to leave his family and his hometown to go to the land that I will show you, is what God says. And he does what? In Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you and, who dishonor, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the next words in, in verse 4, So Abram went. Do you think it took faith to go off into the middle of nowhere? I mean, doesn't it still? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I think about when you, you know, you and I both went to college. You know, when you went to college, you left home. Uh, and even though that's fairly routine uh, in our culture, that's still a pretty big step. You're leaving everything you know and going into something that is totally foreign to you. Um, that is a microcosm of what Abram did. Mm-hmm. Abram left all of his wealth, all of his relations, uh, and put his faith in God to go to a place he had never seen um, on a promise. Uh, I think it's it's remarkable um, what he was... I think it's a remarkable faith to do what he did. When I was preparing this, I thought a modern-day equivalent. Imagine if you went on a trip and you're using your phone for directions, and you know how it tells you to turn left or right, and it says, you know, bear left or bear right, or um, go straight for X miles. Okay, now imagine you're getting directions from your phone, but you don't know how long it's going to take you to get there, and you don't even know where there is. Right. I mean, how many of us have done that with getting the directions from the phone and it and it says turn right and you're thinking that doesn't look like that's taking me anywhere I want to go. And you trust in Siri or you trust in Waze or or whatever Google Maps you're using. Um, yeah. And, and but, you know, we know the destination. We put in the destination. Uh, I cannot imagine a scenario where just Siri said, picks. Hey, the destination. Siri, surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And but but that's what happens here, right? Um, you see, he's told to go to the land I will show you. So, basically, saying follow me, and I'm not going to tell you where we're going just yet. So, um, as we consider examples of faith, I think this is the first of many that Abraham, uh, at this time Abram, displays. Shifting gears a little bit, um, 
So if we look at the promises here that he's given, the first thing that he's promised in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. That's the first thing that is promised to him. I will make you a great, I will make of you a great nation. Does Abraham have any kids at this point? Not yet. Very famously, uh, Abram has no children at this point. Um, you know how old he is at this point? He is nearing... He's 75. Yeah, 75. I'm glad 75 years old. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, God comes and speaks to Abraham. Uh, I keep saying Abraham. Abram, again. It's just, uh, that's what we call a teaser. <laughs> it's a teaser in the industry. <laughs> and at, at this point in Genesis 15, this is years later, Abram still doesn't have any kids. God tells him he will have as many offspring as the stars. And what does Abraham do here? In verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So this whole conversation with God in this chapter starts with, uh, where's my where's my nation, God? I still don't have any kids. I'm, at this point, most likely 85, and I still don't have any kids. What's going on? You know, and before we move on, it, I think that's, it, it, this is sort of a journey of faith, right? I mean, this is, this is very similar to how our faith feels. We, we read, uh, in our experience, we read, we get a promise from God, and then it doesn't start turning out the way that we thought it was going to. And maybe the timeline is different than we expected. And so now our faith starts to get a little weaker, and we start to waver a bit. And so we start to ask a question. Uh, and I don't think that Abram's in sin here by asking the question. It's a pretty reasonable question. Mm-hmm. You know, God, you promised a nation. Would, I would have be the father of a nation, and yet here I am, and we've not even, even started yet. I'm getting close to 90 years old. I'm 85 years old. Um, so, you know, if you were charting Abram's faith here, this is a little bit of a valley, I would say. Yeah, and uh, we see how he responds in chapter 16, right? He uh, is talking to his wife. His wife seems to be barren. And so she she says, okay, here's my, my servant, Hagar. Have a child with her. And so that's that's what happens. We know and Abraham and Sarah basically, uh, for for lack of... A better term, they basically create this child um, using uh, uh, what they thought was a proper method, and of course, we know the we know the full story. Um, and so, so Abraham has Ishmael, right? And um, it's not until Abraham is ninety nine years old in Genesis chapter twenty one, and I, I think this is this is interesting because sometimes when we're as you've brought this up, sometimes we think we understand God's purpose in our lives, and it's not until time goes by that we understand that things may have may have gone differently, or maybe things aren't always what we what we think they are, and we see the purpose in different things. So in Genesis 17, Isaac is promised to Abraham, and God God comes to Abraham and says, "This child who all these nations will come through come through." has not been born yet. And you know how old Abraham is at this point? At this point he is, he's over 90 at this point. He's 99. 99. 
13 years. 99 years young. So Ishmael is born when he's 86. And at 99 years old, Abraham's told, hey, this isn't the child. 13 years have gone by thinking that God has, uh, has followed up on this promise through this child. And 13 years later, we see that um, Abraham comes to this realization that, oh, this isn't the child. And God promises him that his, his barren wife, who's almost 100 years old now, is going to have a child. I can imagine that when, upon hearing that Ishmael is not the child of promise, um, that Abraham's uh, face probably fell. You know, he, he that had to be devastating. You, and I think, you know, honestly, I hadn't considered the timeline. I hadn't really considered that it had been uh, 13 years of, of thinking you'd figured it out and, and that the promise was, was being fulfilled before your eyes. And then that rug gets pulled out from under you. Um, now, fortunately for Abram, God doesn't leave it with, hey, you were wrong, that's a shame, and then walk away. There is the, the telling of the promise that now his wife, uh, as you mentioned, Sarah, is almost 100, uh, that she's going to bear a child. This is going to be Isaac. and um, So he doesn't leave Abram, Abram or Abraham at this point now hanging, um, but it had to be devastating just for a, at least for a moment to have that realization come upon you. So we know that one year later, in Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. 25 years after, he's told that he'd be the father of a multitude of nations. He has the first child in this lineage. How many times do you think he doubted it would happen? Goodness, over 25 years? Over 25 years. <laughs> uh, you know, when I... <laughs> he, when he, was, he was 75 when it started. 25 years. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd imagine daily. You know, daily you had to think this just isn't going to happen. Um, and if he's anything like me, he didn't, you know, think twenty for 25 years, well, God's just not telling me the truth. He just thought, I just don't deserve it. You know, maybe this is about me. Maybe I failed somewhere. Maybe I've let God down and this is, I'm just getting what I deserve. I, I tend to always turn that introspective and, and, and really uh, <laughs> depressed, I suppose, Um but that's really you know, kind of the purpose of this episode, right, is to, fo- is to shift our focus away from that self-defeating behavior and to trust and to have a faith uh, like Abraham had, had to have. He had to have, have some faith. I mean, to keep going, to keep you know, having faith in God and serving God, he had to have something that, in him that still trusted. Yeah, and I think this event has cultivated his faith, and uh, we see that these kinds of events are what help us to grow. And that's evident in the next, the next test that God provides Abraham. As we know in Genesis chapter 22, and this one I'd like to read uh, verse 2 in Genesis 22. And in Genesis 22, in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And again, as we saw in that first example, what are the next words? So Abraham rose. And early no, in the morning. Early in the morning. Yeah. Not <laughs> mid, mid-morning, you know, around noon, just dragging his feet, walking around the camp, looking for things to do. 
He rose up early in the morning. Didn't question God. Such a such a great example of faith. And why would he do that? Yeah, I think it's interesting that it's revealed in much, much later in the book of Hebrews that Abraham had the faith that God was delivering the promise through Isaac, and that even if he sacrificed him, that God would bring Isaac back to life. That had never happened. That was not based on any event uh, that Abraham had ever seen or any story he had ever heard. But he had that kind of faith that the impossible was possible. He believed God would deliver even when it wasn't possible. And that scripture you just referenced is Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Such a great example of faith. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from him, but we'll discuss that in a few minutes. Um, so the next example I want to look at is in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17. And this one's a little bit of a shorter example. You know, Abraham was 175 years old when he died, so I think we did a pretty good job of <laughs> summing that up rather quickly. Only 25 years of his life. Well, I guess more than 25 years of his life. First uh, Kings 17 we're going to look at the widow of Zarephath. So I'm just going to read this short section, 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is, Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he had spoke by Elijah, that, that he spoke by Elijah. Okay, so um, how many times do you think she had refilled that flour jar and that oil jar and knew that when she emptied it, it was going to be empty? Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's a really great question. Uh, who knows how many times that she would open that thing up um, I assume we're talking after Elijah's promise, or before Elijah. Before, promise. oh, before, before Elijah. Yeah. How many times had she seen it empty oh, itself? And, and 
and refilled it and seen it empty itself and refilled it and seen it empty. Yeah. And, and to be told this time, <clears throat> when you take all the flour out, it's not actually all going to be out. It's, it's a heartbreaking thing. This story always tugs at my heartstrings because this woman has resigned herself to death, uh, the death of her and her son. And it's, I can't imagine um, how that feels. But, you know, this time she had looked, you know, as you talk about the jar, she looks at the jar and it's empty and she knows I've got just enough for one more meal and then that's it and we're done. Um, and so she had made this decision that this will be their last meal. Um, it's just heartbreaking to consider how her heart must have felt um, in that moment. And then here comes this man of God saying, hey, make me something first. Um, astounding that she, that she listens and obeys. Um, it, it's, it's fairly incredible. It's a really incredible story. Yeah, and she says, I have enough for one meal. And he says, make me a meal, and then you'll have enough for another one. And I think that's where her faith lies. Had she mm-hmm. not believed him and just said, no, I'm good, and she takes it herself. But uh, I think this is a good example of um, believing, believing in the impossible. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's so many specific things about this, this scenario that this is her last hope. This is all she has left in this life. And someone has come to her and extended, extended life to her at the end of end of her life. And um, I think this is just a powerful example of believing in something that doesn't make any sense. It, as I talked about with me, um, I think of things in terms of physics, and I know that every time I've ever emptied any kind of container, all the stuff comes out mm-hmm. and doesn't keep coming out once it's empty. Yeah. Uh, every time I've used all the flour in the pantry, we have to go buy another bag. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the infinite flour bag. <laughs> um, and just to see that kind of thing happen by an act of faith is is very um, very touching and very motivating to me. I think also similar to the story we looked at before, right? When Abram had 13 years with his son Ishmael, um, and God comes and says, this is not the son of promise. God doesn't let that linger. He goes on and says, but Sarah is going to, your wife Sarah is going to bear a child for you. This will be the child of promise. Here with the widow of Zarephath, you see Elijah comes and she's like, I'm making this last meal and we're done. He says, make something for me first. But he doesn't let that despair linger because here's the promise from the Lord that comes immediately upon hearing this despairing news. And there's probably something to that. There's probably something to um, to mirror the, the Christian walk and the Christian faith to say, yes, there are moments of despair. There are moments that seem dark and desperate, but there's always a hope. There's always a promise directly on the heels of that that we can lean upon. Uh, I think it's interesting to see really similarities between those first two stories we've looked at. So that's the widow at Zarephath. The last example I'd like to look at is um, Jesus walking on the water and him calling Peter out onto the water. And the account which I would look to, like to look at is Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. And we'll, we'll read this account and we will start in verse 22 of chapter 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, here we see that Peter and the apostles see Jesus walking on the water, something which is completely impossible. And then Jesus calls Peter out onto the water to do the impossible. You know, Travis, every time I've ever gotten into a pool of water, my foot has broken the surface. Every time? You've never been able to walk on water? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the same experience we all have. And, and this is like we talked about earlier, right? This is physics says you can't do this. This is not possible. You know, the surface tension of the water is insufficient, et cetera, et cetera. Can't happen. So I think it, it speaks to Peter's faith here that not only did he see Jesus walking on the water, defying physics, but he asks Jesus to call him to him so that he also can do the impossible. But, you know, Peter catches it in a question of sorts, doesn't he? Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. As if to say, I'm pretty sure that this is impossible, but I also kind of want to try it. You know, I, I, I have a little bit of faith. I think this is you. Um, and Jesus, of course, immediately says, come, and, and it happens. But it, it's interesting how Peter phrases that. God defies physics. God defies reality. And Peter understood that for just a moment at this, at this time. So uh, now that we've looked at these three different examples, let's draw some application. Um, what are some things that you think we can take away and apply in, in your life and in my life? Well, you know, I think the first thing that jumps out at me is here's another example, like I just mentioned a moment ago. Um, of a valley of, of despair uh, in this in this charting of faith, where faith gets really low. You know, Peter's faith peaks when he walks on the water, uh, but distracted by the wind and and takes his eyes off of Jesus, which is full of meaning. Uh, takes his eyes off of Jesus, begins to sink, and that faith bottoms out like immediately. But Jesus takes his hand, brings him into the boat, and calms the sea immediately. So here we go again, where these moments of despair, um, these moments of being down and scared, frightened, um, or what have you, are temporary. They're transitory. And God is eternal. And the promises that he has made to us are eternal. 
and they are certain, and they do defy logic, and they do defy reality, um, as maybe much of the world understands it. But yet here we are. Um, we're never alone. We're, we're never without. Uh, and we really have no call to be afraid uh, if, we, if we truly can grow our faith uh, in the promises of God. You know, so often we think, I could never do that. And we see these, these acts of faith and we think, oh, well, that was, that was Abraham. Mm-hmm. That was Moses. That was David. Uh, you know, that, that woman met Elijah. Peter knew Jesus. And um, so often we, we think that we could never amount to that. But I like this passage in the book of James um, James chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he pray, prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. But the, the first part, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Do you know what that means? He was nothing special. He was just a good old boy from you know where, from... You know, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. he, he was just another guy. Yeah, just another guy. Um, and that's so powerful because I think oftentimes we we limit our uh, belief of what can happen, and when we consider you know, drawing all this into into application, prayer is a powerful tool, and prayer is designed. For us to talk to God, and God has told us that if we just have faith, we can move mountains. And I think part of this has to do with what we pray for, what we see, what we work on. And nothing's impossible with God on our side, and um, I think these these three uh, examples that we've looked at show us that. And I guess finishing up for this episode, imagine a world where we all display faith that can move mountains. Faith where there is nothing that is impossible. So when you talk about a faith like that, you know, faith that moves mountains, I mean, how much faith are we talking about here? That seems like it would take an enormous amount of faith uh, to do something that grand. You know, in Matthew 17, Jesus is talking to the apostles and uh, he rebukes a demon, and the apostles are so confused. And they say, why could we not cast it out? And in response to their faith, Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, just a little bit of faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.